Now, somebody said to me uh, earlier, why are you bothering to move into Nambour? And um, if you've been in Nambour, you'd understand the question. It's a kind of a different place in there at the moment. How many of you know that? Um, we're being right beside a tattoo parlor. So we're going to be right in the thick of what, what is going on in people's lives in our community. Is that exciting? I think that, that's exciting. But I believe that it, this is our destiny, that this is where God is leading us. Let me tell you a story. Uh, before Interstate 75 was built, drivers traveling through to Florida from the north went right through a little town in Kentucky called Corbin, Kentucky on Highway 25, the old highway. Every day, hundreds of people stopped at this particular cafe for a, a, a bite of the famous chicken that they made there. But when, inter when the interstate was complete, Interstate 75, Highway 25 went quiet. This is a picture of the original cafe there. The cafe owner was at a crossroads. Now, he could hope for the best. He could ride his near-empty restaurant all the way down, or he could pursue another vision. So the owner decided to move ahead out of the disaster that ensued when I-75 passed his hometown, bypassed his hometown. He hit the road and started recruiting and franchising across the United States. It all began with a clear-eyed look at the situation and realizing that things had changed and that there was a different journey for him. And that willingness to face reality, of course, uh, was a journey afresh made by a gentleman called Colonel Harlan Sanders, and it became KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. How many of you know that? Finger licking good and all that sort of stuff. Started from a little cafe that got bypassed by the interstate. And I believe that he moved into his destiny and that God will lead us into our destiny, don't you? You don't just want to sit around. If you're resting on your laurels, you're wearing them in the wrong spot. You need to be, you know, the laurels should be on your head, not your bottom. So God covenanted with Abraham, as we saw the other week, and also with Moses, that if they were to go on a divine journey, he would bless them and they will become a blessing to the whole world. So today I want to examine just a little bit of the covenant that he made with Moses and the people of Israel. Now, everyone faces a journey through life of some kind and we have the opportunity to dream big right now we're moving to a new place i'm believing it's very soon and it's an opportunity to dream big what are your dreams for church what's the, what would a church look like for you if all your dreams came true okay it's probably different for me than for you but you know just think about it where we'll be situated the space etc that we'll have we will have incredible opportunities. Uh, what is it that floats your boat? What is it that God is calling to you? What is the dream that you have to do for him? Is it uh, street ministry? Is it uh, youth ministry or ladies or men's or, or, you know, gosh, families, anything else? We can plant new churches here and around the world out of that place. This is the most exciting moments of your Christian walk of mind too when we are part of a move of God that is coming about right now. I feel like I'm swept up in an incredible movement of God where God has provided for Lily House, our heart and our passion for 12 or 13 years now. And then God has also provided for our church. It's just an amazing time, isn't it? Don't you believe that? And who knows but that God has brought you here into this place for such a time as this. What is it that is your dream? Because I believe he can make your dreams come true as we move ahead together in covenant. So what is covenant? You hear this word thrown around a bit, especially if you're in the building game. And it's quite negative. There's a covenant on this thing. You know, but covenant is not actually negative. Dictionary.com defines covenant as a solemn agreement between two parties to do or not do something specified. So in other words, a covenant is an agreement 
between two uh, groups of people. It involves a promise which must be kept. It is, it's a promise, it's a pledge. It's you saying, your part of the deal is to do this. I'm saying my part of the deal is to do this. And if we both honour the covenant, the covenant stands and is ratified. Now, we as a church believe that God is leading us into new premises. But the Lord this week has been encouraging me. Uh, who's doing the Bible reading plan? Quite a few of you. You'd have gone back through over the last week or so looking at, at numbers and, and, and the people of Israel on their journey. It's no, it's no accident that God is speaking out of those passages at a time when we as a church are moving. And so I believe that God led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land, and it involved a covenant. It wasn't a free ride. It wasn't a case of, look, you just go off and do whatever you like, and God's going to come through for you, because that's not how covenants work. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to face this journey alone. I don't want to face this journey as a church or as families or, or as what We want to do it with God, don't we? And if you do it with God, it involves covenant, which means there's a commitment from both sides. So I, today I want to look at what Scripture says about covenant and about in particular the covenant that they journeyed forth from Egypt with. And uh, I'm not frightened of moving. Is anybody here frightened of moving? Some of you here are about to do it. I know you guys are about to do it. Tony, Lorena, and, and Gabe, you're about to do it. There's, I'm not frightened of moving. Tara and Raymond are about to do it. So I'm not frightened of moving. I'm not even fearful of the process of our church moving. What I'm fearful of is one thing. I'm fearful of stepping out of God's will and doing it myself. That's what I'm fearful of. And that's what I want to guard against. So let's not delude ourselves. To truly walk with God, we have to be obedient. Everybody say obedient. We have to be obedient. There's an agreement, a covenant. Now, as Isaiah said in Isaiah 1 verse 19, he said this. Now, he, and, and covenants are, are, are specified at the beginning what's going to happen if you do or don't abide by it. It's what covenants do. Listen to what he says in Isaiah. If you are willing and obedient... You shall eat the good of the land, which is interesting because we're opposite McDonald's where we're going to. So, you know, <laughs> read into that what you will. Did I say eat and good and McDonald's in the same sense? Anyway, <laughs> but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. So when a covenant is set up, they say, if you, if you abide by it, these are the cool things that will happen. And if you don't, this is what's coming your way. You can't have evil things come into your life and bad things happen to you and say, well, hang on a minute, God. Because that's the penalty of not keeping our side of the covenant. Now, it's been said that the children of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, as you know, because they were led by a man who, like all men, refused to ask directions. That's not true. Well, okay, men and directions, that is true. But that's not why the people of Israel wandered in the desert for that period of time. They wandered in the desert because they forgot what God had done. They doubted, they complained, and they rebelled. They stepped out of God's will, and they broke covenant. They broke it. And remember, their journey started with miracles just like ours has. If you haven't caught up with it, a couple of weeks ago we announced that Lily House is buying our old buildings here on this site. They didn't have any money, but God raised up incredibly a man who wrote a check for $700,000. And they are buying our property, which frees us to go and move on to what God has for us. You can't tell me that's not a miracle. If you've got an issue with that... 
I lovingly say to you, get out of the way and let God be God, because that is a miracle. It really is. And the children of Israel, they started with the miracle. Remember, 10 plagues and, of course, the incredible miracle of the Red Sea. They had an ongoing presence of the Lord and a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud in the day. No Israelite could walk out of there and say, well, God's probably not with us. He'd walk out and see the cloud or the fire. I don't think God's with us. Okay, might have to revise that statement, you know. Numbers 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 16. Let's look at this. And so it was always, the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night and... Whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, and the people of Israel set out. And at the command of the Lord they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. That's pretty clear. And I've been praying for a couple of years now, Lord, I want to follow you. And I know there's been a cloud of God's presence here. I know there's been a pillar of fire by night. That's why we're called Ignite. Kind of. But I know God has been here and I've been waiting for the cloud to move and the cloud is now moving. And that's the exciting thing. I'm not making it move. God's moving and we're following him. You see, Israel, when they set out, they didn't have a Refidex. Everybody under the age of 30 says, what's a Refidex? A Refidex is like a GPS on paper that doesn't move. You've got to actually turn pages and find where you are. But the children of Israel had the first GPS right there. It was a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. That's their GPS. It directed and guided them. But it required obedience to the covenant relationship God had with them. See, for us, the cloud is moving. And when it moves, we need to be obedient, don't we? See, you can't... You can't say, you think about a GPS, if you're following a GPS and it says turn right and you say, well, I don't want to turn right, I'm going to turn left. You can't then blame the GPS for getting you lost because you didn't obey it, right? So I I think, you know, their, their GPS, they had to go where the cloud went and so do we. And we have to set out and seek new fresh horizons. So I want to run through the covenant. I want to talk about what was God's bit, what was our bit There's lots of bits. I can't cover everything here, but I want to just touch on it so you get a glimpse of how important a covenant is and how cool it is. Covenants are not bad. They're good. They're really good when they're with God. So a covenant involves promises and commitments, usually from both sides. So what were God's requirements? Well, first of all, he fought for his people. So Exodus 14 says this, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation the Lord will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to remain silent. Man, I love that verse. When God's fighting for you, if God is for us, who can be against us? And when God is opening doors, who can shut them? You know, I'm so excited when I read a verse like that because I haven't got to fight. God can fight for me. The bit I have trouble with is staying silent. You know, in your marriage relationship or in your relationship with your kids or kids with your parents, one of the hardest things to do is to stay silent and let God do it because we want to help him out. I'll just nag her a bit. That'll change her. It never works. We've got to let God change us. So let's examine how God fought for and provided for his people. Well, number one, God sees before. I mentioned this when I preached uh, the other week that God 
uh, God, one of God's names is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord provides. And God is able to provide perfectly for the people of Israel and for our church. Why? Because he sees before us. God knew Pharaoh's plans and saw to it that Israel was cared for. Pharaoh didn't surprise him. The coronavirus didn't surprise God. He's working on all sorts of stuff in the background. He's not surprised because he sees ahead. In fact, the word providence, which we sometimes use for, you know, moving ahead and it's all going to be great. Providence actually means to see before. It is timely preparations for a future eventuality. So no matter what the enemy plans to do to you and your family, God can see before you and he has already taken care of it. And he will guide and protect you. Look at Exodus 14.4. He says this about Pharaoh. Listen to this. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. God knew. He knew in advance. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. And in Proverbs 15, it says this, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, watching the wicked and the good. You just can't sneak up on God. He knows he sees ahead of what's happening. He knows ahead of time what's happening. So just because you can't see the way doesn't mean God doesn't have a way. Some of you here in your life, with what you're dealing with at the moment, in your homes, in your families, in your workplace, maybe in your school, some of you can't see the way ahead. But I'm telling you, God sees the way ahead. God knows already. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean he doesn't already have a way. Now, we've seen incredible miracles in this church, and I believe that we're going to see more and more miracles of God in this church. Why? Because we've already seen it the last few weeks. How can you doubt God? He just did that stuff the other week with all that money. How can we doubt him? How can we doubt him? I believe that if you're part of this church, you're going to be part of what of the miracles that God's doing. So you may face unbelievable odds right now, incredible hardships, pain, fears, but God sees before you, and as long as you remain in covenant with him, he will fight for you. The second thing is God comes between. The pillar of cloud brought light to Israel, but it brought darkness to the Israelites. Uh, sorry, to the to the uh, Egyptians. The people of the world are living in darkness, but our pillar of fire brings light. And God can do incredible things. I believe that the enemy cannot touch you without first getting through God. Isn't that cool? So God puts himself between us and our enemies. Exodus 14 says this, verse 19, Then an angel of the Lord who'd been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them putting them between the the Egyptians and the Israelites. God moved his presence in between the two. The pillar of cloud also moved from them in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. You remember the situations? Their backs against the, the, the Red Sea. They're between a rock and a hard place. The Egyptians are pounding down on them. And God's presence that had been leading them moves around and just kind of forms a barrier between the oncoming Egyptians and the Israelites. They were terrified. But I tell you, God is passionate about protecting his people. He really is. Does this mean nothing will ever go wrong in your life? Of course it doesn't. Symbol for Christianity is a cross, not a cushion. John 16, says this. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, God doesn't usually make you avoid problems. He leads you through them triumphantly and victoriously out the other side. 
And I think that's a great word for us right now. God can give us the strength to face what's coming. He can give you the strength to face every problem life throws at you. And when you do, you can know that God is between you and the enemy protecting you. Deuteronomy 20 verse 4, For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and give you victory. That's pretty clear, isn't it? He gave them victory but he will also give us victory in our lives. The third thing is that God goes ahead. So we saw that he sees ahead, but he goes one step further. He actually goes ahead and opens the way to do the possible. That's why we sing Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. That's who he is. Well, how exciting to serve a God who goes before us and paves the way for victory. See, the trapped and doomed people saw the Red Sea parting before their eyes, and they walked through on dry land. Exodus 14 talks about that they walked through on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. So next time you are facing a seemingly impossible situation, remember what God did for the Israelites at the Red Sea, because he can do it again for you and for me, can't he? You know, when we came to, to look at selling this place, we found the, the, the new position that we wanted to move into. And, and I said to our, our town planning guy, I'll have a meeting with council because I want them to change the zoning on this to residential so we can sell it. Because it's almost, you know, it was very difficult. It's not impossible, but it's difficult to sell it while it's zoned community. And we had a meeting with council and they said, we're telling you straight up, we, we are not going to change this right now. I said, great. That's, you know, I was pitting all my hopes on that. But I could turn around and say, you know, God, you have a way ahead. And we didn't know. I didn't know at the time. Deb didn't know that there is a state clause that will allow Lily House to move into here and own and operate this property like a residence. There is a state law that trumps council. I didn't know that. I wanted, him to, I wanted God to do it my way and change the zoning, but he had a higher way. He had a better way. And not only are we getting blessed, but now Lily House is going to move into what will be a multi-million dollar property by the time it's developed. Do I hear an amen from Deb? Right, God's going to do amazing things here, and we are so blessed to be part of a move of God. But I, you know, I told him what he needed to do, and he didn't do it. Did he let me down? No. He just had a better way. We can have that same faith. We saw God provide finances miraculously. He, he provided miraculously for the, the people of Israel. Have you seen God do miraculous things in your life in the past? Have you? Have you seen relationships restored you thought were gone? Have you seen money brought back to you you thought was lost? Have you seen opportunities open for you you never dreamed of? God can do it again. He can and will do it if we are obedient. See, God goes ahead of us as a church, and I believe he's opening doors that no man can shut, both for us in there, in at Nambo, and for Lily House right here. God is going to prosper those ministries. How do I know? He just proved it 700,000 times. He did. You can't tell me that's not God. Deuteronomy 31 says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Anyone want to grab a hold of that this morning? For your home, for your family, for your business. And the fourth thing is God comes behind. See, God not only goes between us, but he comes from behind. Why? Because he's got your back. 
Isaiah 52, 12. But you will not leave in haste or go and fly, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. God moved behind the fleeing people, blocking off the enemy and protecting the terrified Israelites. He did it for them. He can do it for... See, I'm just a simple guy. I, I'm not that intellectual or, or smart, but I just believe that if it's in the Word of God, that God did it. You know, I, I can't give you... Uh, what, what the latest you know dig in Israel is saying about about all of this I just if it's in the word of God I just believe it and I believe that same God is my God and he could do it for me too he can open a way where there seems no way I remember walking past um, or walking in a very dodgy part of a very dodgy city with one of my girls one time have you ever been to a, like a dodgy part of a dodgy city like you need to get out of dodgy because it's awful and uh, it's very creepy very sort of terrifying and you're looking around and all these sort of evil eyes are coming at you and you know out of doorways and stuff and I remember holding my daughter's hand and and so that that she wouldn't run away see if she said dad I don't want to hold your hand and ran down an alley we got problems you know we've got problems so I held her tight but she had to also walk with me and God demands the same obedience from us God's promise is that he will be with us even to the ends of the age. He will never leave us nor forsake us no matter what difficulties we face. But this covenant is not without conditions. If you say, listen, God, I know you've promised to do all these great things, but I just want to rebel and go my own way. If you walk away from him, if you run away from his protection, then don't be surprised if you find yourself facing life alone. Does he still love you? Absolutely. Does he want the best for you? Absolutely. But we have a part to play in the covenant and our part is to be obedient and hold his hand as he walks. Don't do your own thing, then blame God for the result. It's not his fault. Very often it's our fault. So that's God's part of the covenant. What about us? What are our commitments? Or more specifically, let's ask the question, what did they do? Where did the Israelites go wrong? 40 years is a long time. It's a long time to be wandering in the desert without a home. See, God makes a firm and unshakable commitment. He did to them. He does to us. Uh, favorite verse of, of, of ever. I love this verse. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plan to give you a future and a hope. It was given to the, the exiles while they were in exile as a promise for their future. And I believe it's a promise we can hold on to, that this same God loves us. This same God wants to prosper us and bless us. But we conveniently overlook the next two verses. Verse 12 and 13 says this, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, we forget to seek him. We just want his hand. We don't want his face. We don't want to communicate. We don't want to be close to him. We don't want to be obedient. We just want him to pour out his blessing on us. But we're breaking the covenant. The covenant requires that we are obedient. And an ongoing uh, covenant requires ongoing obedience. So we are to call to him and come and seek him with all of our heart. And it means trusting him rather than ourselves for the future. It means obeying him no matter the circumstances. When circumstances are good, it's okay. It's easy to obey. But when circumstances get tough, that's going to sort the men from the boys. We are generally pretty bad at this, you'd have to admit. We tell God what we want and then get mad at him when he doesn't do it our way. 
We act like he's our servant and we're not his servants. The Bible says we are his servants. If you want the God of all heaven, the creator of the heavens and the earth, if you want that same God to lead and guide and protect and provide for you in your life, you need to walk with him. You need to keep in step with the Spirit. You need to be you know, in obedience to him, not doing your own thing and saying, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. The people of Israel saw great and incredible miracles of provision, yet they wandered in the desert for 40 years because they would not obey. So I want to look now at specifically four areas that they blew big time. And if one of these at least doesn't resound with you, I'll be amazed because it does for me. But, you know, even when they, even when they failed him, even when God punished that generation, God still took care of him. Do you realize that? It's not like, like God forsake, uh, forsook them. Deuteronomy 29 verse 5, Moses said this, I have led you in the 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out and your sandals have not worn off your feet. You see, they, they, their sandals didn't wear they walk, You try walking for 40 years in a desert and see how your sandals look. I mean, the price of shoes these days, you want to hope they don't wear out. You know, but they did, nothing wore out. God was with them even when they let down their side of the covenant because that's called grace. So what went wrong? How did they fail to respond to God's generous protection and provision and then wander for 40 years in the desert? In essence, they failed to fulfill their part of the covenant. God never let them down, but they constantly let him down. So let's have a look at some of the areas they constantly let God down. Number one, they forgot. (coughs) They forgot. They forgot the blessings of the Lord. When they faced the pressure cooker of the Red Sea, you read it. They turned and they said, Moses, why did you leave? You should have left us in Egypt as slaves. Why did you get us out here to kill us right here? In the, they hadn't even got past the Red Sea yet. They forgot that God had moved all these incredible plagues. They forgot the blessing of God. They forgot all the, all the uh, stories handed down of Abraham and Isaac. and Je- They forgot all that stuff because in the pressure of the moment, their faith failed. Psalm 106 verses 7 to 8 says this, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea, yet he saved them for his name's sake. Even though they rebelled, God in his grace loved them and saved them. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 says, And you shall remember the whole way of the Lord your God, the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that you might be humble... Sorry, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. See, we humans, us people, right here in this church, we've seen so much blessing from the Lord, but when the pressure's on, when things get tough, what happens to that? You forget, don't you? And your faith fails. You forget the incredible blessing the Lord had given us. Deuteronomy 8.17, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you wealth to get power, sorry, the power to get wealth, and He may confirm His covenant that He swore with your fathers as it is to this day. See, we go out there and we look at our bank accounts and we say, Well done. What a great job. Look at all this. If God's prospered you financially, I am excited for you. Wonderful. But remember, he's the one who gives you the power to get wealth. He's the one who makes it happen. Not me, not even you. Yes, there's a part of your covenant. You've got to work hard, but he is the one who prospers you. I've been an optometrist for 30-something years. I'm getting better. I'm hoping that one day I'll be good. But as an optometrist, I know I can tell you, I I can have patient after patient come in 
and they don't need glasses and I, I make barely anything. Or I can have two patients come in who say, oh, I want this and that and this and, that, and rack up a big bill and I get money. I can't control what they're going to buy. Who does that? God. God gives me the power to get wealth. God gives you the power to get wealth. Don't think it's yourself. So be generous with what you've got because it's not you, it's him. And don't forget that the, what the Lord has done for you in the past. Psalm 103 verse 2, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. It's so easy to forget what God has done, isn't it? Why do you think God set up all these elaborate feasts and stuff in the Old Testament, the Passover and Yom Kippur and Purim and all this sort of stuff? Why did he set it up? So that people would remember. So his people, the Israelites, would remember because he knew they'd forget. That's why he puts these things in place to remind us because we need reminding. Isn't that true? There's nothing magical in a feast or a celebration. It's just God reminding us. But if we can use that as a, as a we're going to see in a few weeks' time when we share a, a, a Passover together that points to Jesus Christ, that, that it's not, there's nothing magical in the elements or, or when we share communion. There's no magic. But it points us to Jesus and reminds us, reminds us of what he's done for us. Do I hear an amen to that? We need reminding. The second thing is they doubted. See, the people doubted that God will fulfill his promise and lead them into the promised land. Now, we know that faith blesses God. You look at what he said to Caleb in uh, Numbers 13, verse 30. Remember, 12, 12 spies went into the land, 10 came back and gave a bad report, and two, Joshua and Caleb, gave a different report. Listen to what Caleb said. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once to occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. He didn't see the giants and that sort of stuff. He saw through them and saw the riches of the land and the promises of God. And you see, doubt short circuits the blessings of, of being in covenant with God. If you are in covenant with God and you keep doubting, it just kind of short circuits those things coming down the line. And if you look at, uh, once again, to remind the people of Israel of their covenant, Moses sets out two groups on two mountains. There's the blessing guys and the cursing guys. Now, the cursing runs a lot longer than the blessing if you read it. So th there's a lot at stake here. But in the middle of this huge chapter in Deuteronomy 28, we find this in verse 66. This is all the curses. If you don't stay in covenant, this is what is going to happen. Look, look at what God says here. Your life shall hang in doubt before you day and night. You shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. Doubt is the fruit of disobedience and breaking of the covenant. And the problem is that doubt nags you. It hangs around you day and night. You're in dread. How many of you have been in that situation? You know, you can't sleep. You could barely function because you're in such incredible fear. I've been there. Have you? That's not what God wants for us. And that's not faith. Let's face it. That's fear, not faith. So I believe that, you know, God's people doubted that God will keep his promise, but we should never doubt. Do you doubt your God? I'll tell you this. Even though this week has been a tough one for me, I've been talking to lawyers, finance people, boards, etc. I have no doubt that God is going to fulfill his promise of moving us where he wants us to be. No doubt at all. You can tell me it's not God. I'll tell you, you're not listening because it is God. And, and I don't doubt that for a minute. But many times we can. Once everything piles on top of us, we start to doubt. The next thing is they complained. 
Oh, I was afraid we would get to this one. This is my spiritual gift. <laughs> Complaining. I'm really good at it. Faith looks ahead with courage. Unbelief looks back with complaint. Now, I may have professed faith this week. I may have even felt it and sensed it, but I've got to tell you, it didn't stop me complaining. Is anybody here like that? Did anybody here complain? Oh, I thought it was the only one. Complaining is something we are basically experts at. I could pick any one of a, a, a whole score of verses to deal with this, but Numbers 11 verse 1, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. They've been rescued from slavery. He's part of the Red Sea. He's provided for, they're having a whinge. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. See, when facing the Red Sea, they complained that Moses had rescued them in the first place. Just after the Red Sea, they complained for lack of water. So the Lord provided that through the rock. Then they complained about lack of food and so on. They even complained about the menu. God, manna, what are you thinking? You keep giving us manna, Lord. They say this, look at this, Numbers 11, verses 5 to 6. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. They were slaves. Now let's put in context, they were slaves. Oh, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks and onions and the garlic. Our breath absolutely reeked, but we were happy. <laughs> and then they say, but now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all to look at except this manna. Man, I'm sick of manna. I mean, if you remember the Keith Green song, he told, you know, I, I'm over manna. What can you do with manna? Filet of manna. But manna bread. Oh, he comes out with all these. You know, I mean, they're complaining about the menu, not about food. They're all surviving just fine. And manna actually was quite sweet, but they whinged about it. Complaining is a sure sign of doubt and it affects everyone around you. It even got under God's skin. I mean, this, you, you know, we're talking about the God of the universe here. These guys really pushed him to the limit, right? He, he got pretty mad about this. It was relentless. They kept complaining about everything. Anybody here like that? Some people you beat. And, and they just don't have a, have a positive word to say about anything. Everything's a whinge. It never brings a blessing. It always brings a curse. It shows that we are not grateful. And I believe, church, we need to cultivate a gratitude attitude. We need to be thankful for what God has done. Philippians 2. I love this verse 2. Uh, verse 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That takes the fun out of life. There you go. Without grumbling or disputing, Ross, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as stars in the world. You see, difficulties should present opportunities to shine, not whine. I tell you, if you take a positive spin on everything, you will be the odd, you'll shine like a beacon because everybody is so negative out there. They really are. You don't believe me? Get on Facebook. It is full of people whinging and moaning and this sort of stuff. Trying to get people's, other people's sympathy. I love the people who get on Facebook and say, feeling sad. And wait for people to say, oh, what's wrong? Are you okay? 
You know, the, everybody's trying to get some sort of sympathy. Out of, we're trying, but look, if you, if you get out there and you're always positive, it will shine like a beacon. And that's what God wants for us. So after a weekend of whining and complaining about lawyers, I confess that, repent, and I'll move on to the next point, which is that they rebelled. You see, when you add all this up, forgetting past blessings leads to doubt, which leads to complaining, which leads ultimately to rebellion. Whose child is that? See, the people got together, they whined together, then they rose up in rebellion. Psalm 78 verse 8 says this, And they should not, look, they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to the Lord. See, on the Exodus journey, they, they, people whined and complained and moaned and whinged about everything, much as we do. Amen. We do. I mean, let's be honest. We complain about lots. You know, I mean, we're a little bit weak here. You go to the Philippines and they think Australians are, are a bit, well, I suppose, not weak. They don't say weak. They just say privileged. I don't know. It's either too hot or too cold. Turn on the air conditioning. Oh, we've got air conditioning. That's awesome. Turn it on. It's too cold. You know, like it, there's always something. So here's the thing. They whine so much back there on the, on the Exodus journey, that a bloke called Korah rose up and he said, well, I'm going to lead a rebellion against you guys. And, and then what happened was Moses called for a showdown. He said, Look, listen, I'm going to, these people, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to go and eat leeks and onions by the Nile and, and recline and have a great life. He forgot they were slaves. We want to go back there. We don't want to be here in the deserts. So he rose up this huge rebellion with him. And Moses called for a showdown. And in actual fact, in the showdown, Moses was vindicated and Korah became lunch, swallowed up by the earth. Number 1632, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people that belonged to Korah and all their goods. See, God treats rebellion really seriously, really seriously. In fact, when he was talking to King Saul, and Saul rebelled against him, did a whole bunch of religious stuff that he wasn't authorized to do. And don't think that just because people look religious that they're, they're listening to God and that's the only way. Because a lot of religious people are full of rebellion in their heart. They're not in unity at all. They are very religious. They'll quote bits of scripture to you, but they will separate God's people. And that's not God. When it brings disunity. So God was so concerned when Saul did it that Samuel said this. Has the Lord delight in great, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen or to heed is better than the fat of rams. Then he says this, for rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and adultery. He's not saying that rebellion is witchcraft. What he's saying is it's, it's, it's just the same. It's destructive. It is evil. And we need to guard our hearts and make sure we are not in rebellion against God and against each other. Unity, there the Lord bestows a blessing, even life forevermore. Now, unity doesn't mean we agree on everything. It means we agree to disagree agreeably. But we can still pull together. You know, we can still be in unity as we move forward. So trust me, you don't want to rebel against God. You really don't want to rebel against him because he treats rebellion very, very seriously. We want to walk with him, not fight against him. Do I hear an amen? Let me wrap it up. A covenant is not a burden, it's a blessing. We often think of covenants as burdens, but they're not, they're blessing. 
A covenant is not about rules. It's about relationship. That's why boyfriends and girlfriends want to get married. I meet people all the time who've been living together for a period of time, which is not according to God's laws, but they want to get married. Why do they want to get married? Why did we just have a plebiscite the other year? Because homosexual people want to have that term. Why couldn't they have the term hitched or, or, or you know, co-living or something like that? Why did they want that term? Why have they got their eyes fixed on marriage? What is it about marriage? And people will say, oh, it's just a piece of paper. It doesn't matter. Well, if it doesn't matter, why are still thousands of couples getting married? Why? I'll tell you why. Because it's not about a piece of paper. It's about a covenant. That's what's so powerful about marriage. It's a covenant. It's a covenant before God. And within that covenant, your relationship grows strong when it's encapsulated by the promises of that covenant. That's where covenants are blessing. The people of Israel made a journey constantly rebelling and complaining. But we should learn from their mistakes. God has covenanted with us. And he is not about to stop. God has given you promises and me promises. He's given us guidance and warnings and all that stuff. It's part of our covenant together. It's part of what we share together with him. But a covenant requires that both sides fulfill the covenant. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises we find in God are yes in him. That is why through him we utter amen to God for his glory. Yes and amen are the promises of God. But you don't get them scot-free. You must be obedient because otherwise there's no covenant. God wants to walk with you. He wants to hold your hand and walk into the future. But if you run away, don't expect the blessings of covenant to come your way. You've broken it. Thank God that he has mercy for us. Thank God that he loves us enough to restore that covenant. If you are in a covenant relationship with God and you've walked away, today you need to restore that. Today you need to get that right. Because if we're going to move ahead, you want to do it with the Lord, not against the Lord. If you are in a marriage that is struggling right now, it's time to renew the covenant. In your marriage, you promised God. I don't care if you're a Christian or not when you made it. You promised God. And if you, if you can possibly get that covenant working, it's important that you do. Okay, when you break covenant somebody hurts when you break covenant there is pain there is difficulties i tell you covenant is a wonderful place to be so the promises of god are given to you what do you believe his promises are to you more importantly are you obedient and walking in covenant you see love is a covenant with your wife with your husband with with god himself with the people in your church love is not a feeling it's an act of the will it's a decision to obey Love is not a feeling. We, we get told that love is a feeling. I don't feel like I love her anymore. I don't feel... Like, love's not a feeling. It's a decision. And when you make the decision, then you need to keep going with that. God gave us marriages not to constrict our love, but to fulfill it. Now, some of you here have been part of a, a divorce and that covenant's been broken and you know the pain that that causes. Right? And, and, and you can attest that, that, that it hurts. It hurts a lot. It can nearly destroy you, that pain. But it's not God's will for you. If there, is a, if there is a chance of keeping that covenant together, I believe you've got to take that chance in the Lord. Don't you? 
And it's the same with your relationship with God. If you've walked away from God right now, if you've been wandering and not connected to him, not fulfilling your part of the covenant, it, does, it doesn't mean that you're doomed to hell. What it means is you need to get back in covenant with him. You need to connect with him again. And I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. His covenant brings blessings. It brings life. But breaking the covenant brings pain and loss. I believe we've got to fulfill our covenant together. If you've ever asked Jesus Christ into your life, that was a covenant. And he, has, he will fulfill his side, but we need to walk in obedience to him, don't we? I believe this is a perfect moment for us to say, Lord, I want to renew this covenant with you. Some of you may have wandered from him for a long time. It's not too late. This is, the mo- this is your moment to say, you know what, Lord? I know I've, I've wandered from you for a long time but I want to get back into covenant with you. I want to connect with you again. I want to walk with you again. And here's his promise that he can restore for you the years the locusts have eaten. All those years wandering, he can restore those to you. He can restore them. What does restoration mean? It means to make new again. To make it as if all those years of neglect never matter. You think of a car. You've got an old um, uh, you know, rusty car in a garage somewhere. It's a mess. Years, that you know, it's an antique car. Years of, of toil and stuff, of rust everywhere. It's a mess. But you get someone who lovingly restores that, it will make it in pristine condition just like the day it rolled off the, the, the manufacturing plant. Just like the day it sat in that very first showroom and someone bought that car. That's restoration and God can do that for you. If you renew your covenant with him, it's about covenant. Covenant's not bad, it's good. Because within that covenant, he will prosper you, protect you, provide for you, and lead you into a glorious future. Would you bow your heads? Let's bring this to the Lord right now. Because I believe that, and, and I've been really convicted of this this week. I've done all those things that the Israelites have done. But I don't want to break my covenant with him. So if you've, if you've never asked Jesus into your life, then this is your moment to start an incredible covenant relationship with him. This is your moment. If that is you, or if you've wandered far from him, maybe you just haven't been connected to him, I'm going to give you the opportunity to reconnect with him, to reconnect your soul to his, to renew that covenant, to restore that relationship. If that is you, and I ask you to pray this prayer with me. Don't continue grappling with sin and trying to do it yourself for a moment longer. This is your moment. The Bible says now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. It's right now. Let's do it now. Pray this with me and let's together renew that special covenant relationship. But if you've never asked Jesus into your life or if you've been wandering far from him, let's do it afresh. Let's do it right. Say these words with me. Lord Jesus... I know that I've sinned. I ask your forgiveness. I turn away from my sins and I turn towards you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me that covenant relationship because I know I can trust you with all of my life. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. I give you everything. 
just as every head is bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, just shoot your hand up and put it down real quick. Uh, we're not going to get you towards the front. We can't manage that in this auditorium, but um, just shoot your hand up real quick and put it down if that's you. Okay, good. Now for the rest of us, I want you to join with me and let's renew covenant with the Lord. Would you do that? Let's renew that relationship right now. Just say these words with me. And, and look, don't just mouth the words. This has got to come from your heart. Some of you here, you love God, but you've just struggled. You've just drifted away. It's time to get back. God has an incredible future for you. God has an incredible plan. You're, you're in a church that is moving, not just physically, but spiritually. And we believe that God is going to raise ministry up in this place. I believe that God's going to, we're going to see an explosion of blessing come out of what he is doing. So if that is you, if you're struggling in that covenant relationship, if you maybe broke at a time or two, it's time to get it right. Say these words with me and let's renew our covenant with him. Say these words, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for rebelling against you. Right now, Lord, I repent of that. And I give my heart totally to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Renew covenant with me, I pray. And I pledge that I will walk with you. No matter the circumstances, that I will trust you every day of my life. Lord, I know you've heard these prayers. Many people have been praying this morning. And Father, I pray that you would just renew that covenant afresh. Whether it's broken or not, Lord, just freshen it up. Because a covenant is your deal with us. And all we need to do is just be obedient. That's our side. Just be obedient. Just listen and be obedient. Father, I pray that as we move forward as a church, as we move forward as individuals, as families, Lord God, that we will seek your face. Lord, that we will walk with you. Not running ahead, not lagging behind, but walk with you. That we would act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Lord, I pray that you would lead us into the future you have for us. And we commit our lives to you afresh in Jesus' mighty name.